So glad you guys could be here with us to start this new series uh, called Reactions Speak Louder Than Words. I think we've all heard that phrase growing up, you know, actions speak louder than words, right? We've heard that. Um, The longer that I live, I think that our reactions to things, um, they actually speak louder than either. Our reactions reveal something. It's often that our reactions tell the whole story. Uh, the actions tell part of the story for sure, right? But we're socially conditioned. We know how to put on a good face. We know how to behave for a while. That's why right now everybody is looking at me, but 20 minutes from now, there'll be some people down at their phones and thinking about lunch and all those different kind of things. Our actions tell part of the story, but our reactions tell the whole story. I think they speak louder than just what we do in our actions. I think that's important for us to understand, uh, especially our reactions when people hurt us, when people are unkind to us, when they treat us or even worse than us, our loved ones, unjustly, or when life circumstances don't go our way, our reactions to those things, man, they reveal what's really going on underneath the hood. (laughs) They show our true colors, who we really are. Our reactions speak louder than words. That's what we're going to um, discover and journey towards these next couple weeks. Uh, And when we think about our reactions, we've all seen people, uh, we've all, we can all like look at other people first, right? Uh, When they overreact. You guys ever been around somebody who like, whoa, the punishment does not fit the crime. Like, why are you freaking out, bro? I was just, uh, we were flying home from vacation last week. And one of my favorite things to see, uh, our family, we're back in row 29, because that's how we fly back in row 29 or 30, right by the bathrooms, peak, <laughs> peak seating. And, uh, and so, you know, as soon as you land, though, you, you see like everybody like stand up when the seatbelt sign goes off, right? And it, I don't know why everybody stands up and they're all thinking they're getting off the plane in 30 seconds. But this guy right in front of us, he stands up and he goes, <sighs> like huffing so loud. I'm like, bro, why are you reacting like this? This is how it always is. It's not going to help you get off the plane any quicker. Or maybe you've been in a store or the grocery store or the mall and you've seen a parent with a young kid and they're disciplining that kid and they're going so far into yelling at that kid that all of a sudden the roles have reversed where they look more like a child than their child did in the first place, right? And you're like, man, I don't know what they did, but this is not looking good. Like a parent overreacting. I've never been like that as a parent of a two and four year old. (laughs) pointing at others right now, right? Or maybe you've been in the workplace where somebody just loses it, where like they throw something, they raise their voice, and then everybody like freezes around them in the office and they're just looking at their computer screen. <laughs> no one's going to talk about it until we can all reach for our phones and we're all going to text about it later or we're going to meet at lunch and talk. Can you believe they did that? What is going on there, right? But we've all seen these overreactions. Um, just as I've been thinking about this as we were kicking off the series, there are certain things that I overreact to um, that I just have to confess to you guys. Um, one of the things that I don't know why, but I have a visceral, re- visceral reaction to is on Sunday afternoons, you know, I get up early, I preach a couple times and I'm kind of emotionally spent. I come home and all that I want is just to lay down on my back on my bed, like the lights off. I probably get like 45 minutes and my kids are still napping right now. So I'm like, I'll oh, just soak in this alone time. But when I turn the corner and I walk into our bedroom and my wife um, has just made the decision that right then is the perfect time to wash the sheets. <laughs> I don't know what it is and judge me all you want, but I'm just like, this is the worst thing ever. I love this. I love that you're taking care of this, Megan. But now, out of all the times right now, like I just have 
this terrible, terrible reaction to it. Uh, another thing, like I, I, I mentioned before, I've got a, a four-year-old Jack and a two-year-old Thomas, and um, we're really in the phase right now where I, I want to, you know, be a partner with my wife to raise these kids, and I'm like, hey, daddy's going to help you get dressed this morning. Daddy's going to brush your teeth, or daddy will help you go to the bathroom, but I hear this over and over again from our four-year-old, beginning from our two-year-old, uh, two words that just... No, mommy, every single time. Uh, it just drives me nuts because I'm like, I am here to help. I'm going to be a husband who's a partner. Let's go. Let's do this. No, mommy. Sometimes I'll fib to Jack, our four-year-old, to be like, you know, daddy taught mommy how to do this. I'm really good at it. <laughs> Doesn't quite work out at all. Right? You know, you have these things that we overreact to. We've all been there. We all have these different things. I find it fascinating that when we react and we overreact to things in life, we rarely slow down to interrogate our reactions, to reflect on why did I just respond like that? in this situation. We rarely do that, right? We just move on to the next thing. Often we're embarrassed about it. We don't want to talk about the way that we reacted or overreacted, but we just blow right through it. But isn't it true that often in our reactions, um, this is about that. It's not about this. There's something, a thing underneath the thing that is driving us to respond, to have an outburst in a different way. Like often when you're uh, just in the worst mood and you're really angry towards everybody, you're not really mad. You're hungry. You're hangry, right? Like I've been there, like somebody get me a Snickers or something. Cause I'm just like hangry in this moment. Years ago, I learned about this personality test called the Enneagram. And I learned that I was an Enneagram 8, uh, which the title for that personality type, uh, some people say challenger. I like to think of it as the leader is what they're called sometimes. Uh, but, I, but I've learned that like well, my core fear in my personality is to be controlled or manipulated. And so there are times when I'm just kind of like irritable and I don't know why. I'm not like having outbursts of anger, but I'm kind of just angry. And I realize that like what it is is I'm feeling kind of threatened and manipulated in this moment. I feel boxed in like a rat in a cage. And that's why I'm feeling angry. And and I think it's interesting that we, we can look at our reactions and they reveal something that's going on underneath the hood. It can reveal what's reality when we think about it. Uh, a month ago, uh, I just got home. Our kids ran out into the driveway. And so Jack wants to help me park the car in our garage behind our house. And so don't judge me. I let him sit on my lap and we drove like 100 feet or something like that to the garage. He sat on my lap, put his hands on the wheel, and we parked the car in the garage. And then I showed him how to take the key out of the ignition. And he, he's like, I'm going to take this inside. And I'm like, okay, but I take the key inside. I had some bags to grab. So I go inside, and I don't think about my keys. And then the next morning, I'm looking for my car keys. And I'm like, oh, Jack had my car keys, but he didn't put them back. I'm like, buddy, where'd you put daddy's keys? He goes, I didn't hide your keys. I didn't have your keys. You had your keys. I'm like, buddy, I know I gave you these keys. You cannot gaslight me right now. This is not how this is working. And he just like, no, I didn't hide them. And so he, that little booger, he just like lied for a full day to where like, we're trying to find where he put these keys. So I get, I had to find my spare set of keys. I didn't have my work keys on or anything else. And then the next day I'm like, buddy, where did you hide my keys? I didn't hide your keys. And so it was a whole other day. I found out that I was not emotionally mature as I thought I was. <laughs> Because I was turning the house over. I'm like, Jack, you're going to tell daddy the truth, and he's not going to be happy. I'm like running all these things. And, uh, and then it ended with him like saying, Daddy, remember that time that I hid your keys? <laughs> what? Really right now? Like I wouldn't just, oh, can't even believe it. But, you know, our reactions to things that don't go our way when people are unkind to us, when they treat us or the ones that we love uh, unjustly, uh, they respond, they, they reveal what's really going on inside of us. 
What I want to talk about these next couple weeks is the power of these reactions that we have and the way that we can surrender these reactions to our Heavenly Father so that there can be something beautiful happen. I want to ask you this question. We'll put this up on the screens. What if there was a way to harness the power of our reactions, especially to adverse situations, for good in the world? What if there was a way to control them, to wield them in a way that doesn't lead to destruction in our relationships and our homes, but actually like births beautiful things into our relationships, our workplaces, our families? What if there was a way to do that? I think that there is. And I think that the more that I follow Jesus, the more that I study the scriptures, I see that Jesus is inviting us to surrender our reactions to him, and he'll do amazing things to it. Not only is he inviting us to follow him in this way, uh, he showed us, he lived out, he practiced what he preached with the way he responded to things in a beautiful way. He practiced the art of what pastor and author Andy Stanley calls this, the over-under reaction. I love this. The over-under reaction. Jesus would actually have these events happen to him, and he would respond in such a way. He would underreact so far to where he's like not doing what you would assume he would do, that people would stop and stare. They'd be like, what? What's he on about? What? What is he doing? And why would he ever respond like that? So he underreacted so far that it came around the other way to where people were like, oh, what? It's like this over, underreaction. Jesus practiced this art of seeing adverse life situations happen to him, things that didn't go the way that he would have written the story or when he was treated poorly. He saw them as opportunities to get people to go, what? What? Wow. This over-under reaction. It's this art of who would say that? Who responds that way? Why would they respond this way? But Jesus saw these moments, not as bumps on the road, but as opportunities for his Father in heaven to shine and show off. And everybody would stop and stare and be like, wait, you should be really angry about this. What are you doing? Well, like, wait, wait, she should be so bitter after what he did to her. Why is she not saving, seething with anger and bitterness? Wait, like, you're not going to get back at them. You're not going to, like, go after them because the way they came after you, you're going to let it go and you're not going to seek revenge. What are you doing? Or wait, wait, if it was me, I'd be broadcasting this on social media. I would be blasting them, posting about them. But they seem to just be in like, no, it's not my game. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to play this tit for tat, retribution kind of game. I'm not going to tell everybody about it. I'm going to be quiet about it. What? It's this art of the over, under reaction, responding in a way that's not expected, unpredictable, unprecedented. But it's what Jesus practiced often. And this is what we're going to be looking at these next three weeks. I want to challenge you to investigate, to reflect on your reactions, to surrender your reactions to your heavenly father who's got the whole world in his hands and he doesn't need your help, doesn't need my help. To live in a different way to show off who God is. This is a powerful kind of way to live your life. Think of it this way. Isn't this true? That unexpected reactions are what makes a story worth telling. 
unexpected reactions. When somebody doesn't respond the way that's normal, that's natural, it's like, wow, that's amazing. That's powerful. It's a story worth telling. I mean, we think back through classic literature and art, like in Les Mis, when Jean Valjean is, uh, he's a criminal, and he is taken in by this bishop of the church, and he steals a bunch of the bishop's silver. He gets caught by the police hours later. They throw him back in front of the bishop, said this man had the gumption to say that he, you gave this silver to him, bishop. And the bishop said, oh, he, I did, and he forgot this one thing, and this act of mercy transformed Jean Valjean's life. And just so you think I'm not an erudite, you know in Star Wars, the unexpected reaction when Darth Vader sees his son being tortured by the emperor, and then he lifts up Emperor Palpatine and throws him down the reactor shaft, and he has redemption, remember that? That was an unexpected reaction. When I think about unexpected reactions, the power of stories, there's a, a television show that was on for the last three or four years called Ted Lasso. Any Ted Lasso fans in the house? Yes, it's on Apple TV+. Plus. It's a very adult show. I'm not recommending it for you or your kids. I found it to be very powerful um, and just really a moving story. Um, and, you know, I want, I want to set up a scene. I want to show you a clip from sesh, uh, season one, which was like three years ago. So no spoiler alerts. You guys just missed it. Um, but just to set up the, uh, the show a little bit, Ted Lasso is an American football coach from Kansas. Kansas, whose marriage is falling apart. He gets hired to coach Premier League soccer in England, and he comes over, doesn't know anything about the sport, but he gets hired to take over this uh, soccer club and managing their soccer club. Little does he know that the owner of the soccer club actually is trying to sabotage him. She is going through a divorce, and her husband loved this soccer team, and so she did everything to ruin this soccer team, ruin Ted Lasso to make his life a living you-know-what, just to punish her husband or ex-husband for leaving her. And the scene I want to show you is when she knows she's been found out and she needs to go tell Ted Lasso, the coach, about what she did. Check out this unexpected reaction. Ted, I lied to you. I hired you because I wanted this team to lose. I wanted you to fail. And I sabotaged you every chance I've had. It was me who hired that photographer to take the photo of you and Keeley. I set up the interview with Trent Krim, hoping that he would humiliate you. And I instigated the transfer of Jamie Tart, even though you'd asked me not to. This club is all that Rupert has ever cared about, and I wanted to destroy it, to cause him as much pain and suffering as he has caused me. And I didn't care who I used or who I hurt. All you good people just trying to make a difference. Ted, I'm so sorry. If you want to quit or call the press, I'll completely understand. I forgive you. You would? Why? Divorce is hard. And it doesn't matter if you're the one leaving or if you're the one who got left. It makes folks do crazy things. But this job you gave me has changed my life. Gave me the distance I needed to see what was really going on. Yeah, but you and me, we're okay. 
Come on, just shake this hand. My arm's starting to get... Isn't that beautiful? I'm like, get emotional. I've seen like 600 times probably. And like I said, this is a very adult show and you do not know the effort I went in to uh, cut out all the swear words in that scene, but it was half of my work week. But it's powerful. It makes a story worth telling unexpected reactions. It makes a story worth telling. My friends, you and I, we are telling a story with our very lives. And your heavenly father is inviting us to live in a way, these over-under reactions, to respond in ways that are unnatural, unexpected, unpredictable, that point people to, wow, what, why? Stop and stare. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time together is I want to look at some of the core teaching of Jesus in his ministry uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's what we like to call around here the Kingdom Manifesto, where Jesus sort of is spelling out what he's up to and bringing God's kingdom his way here, and he's inviting people to be a part of it. And what I want to look at specifically is some teaching not about Jesus telling people to act a certain way, but from the angle of understanding, he's talking about how we react to people that hurt us, people that are unkind to us, or life circumstances when they don't go our way. This is what Jesus is inviting you and I into. He begins and he says this. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Yes, Jesus' original listeners would have heard this. This was part of the Torah. This was part of uh, this law of retribution. And originally in the ancient Jewish world, this was a law that they were commanded to follow uh, because it made sure that people didn't go overboard in retribution. It was supposed to keep things even keeled from X uh, going farther and farther down the crazy lane. But over time, people found this law, uh, a loophole inside of it to uh, give them license to retribution and revenge. And isn't this just the way that our world is set up currently too? Like we just call this justice, right? When somebody hurts us, we hurt them back. Maybe we give a little bit more for good measure when we hit them back. But this is just the world that you and I live in. And Jesus says, you've heard it this way, but I want to tell you this. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Turn the other cheek. How many of you guys have heard that phrase before? Turn the other cheek. Yeah, it came from Jesus. <laughs> this is where it came from. Something that shapes so much of our language and our interactions. But this is so misunderstood. And I want to speak a little bit into this. We hear this often and we think, well, so we're not supposed to defend ourselves? Or, you know, what if somebody comes at us with violence? And so this whole gets this confusing and convoluted. I want to say that I don't believe that this passage is actually about violence at all. I think Jesus is employing a, a Jewish idiom or a figure of speech to talk about insult and the cycle of retribution over and over and over again. Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, his original audience would have understood this language of insulting immediately, but we need a little bit of help. You know, in the ancient world, when somebody would slap you on the right cheek, they would have to, I, I could bring somebody up here to like slap me and do a little demonstration. Like a lot of you guys would like that. I got a hand raise. I didn't get a hand raise in the first service. That's like, well, we'll just have to imagine here a little bit so we don't go viral for terrible, terrible things. Uh, but anyway, when you are slapped on the right cheek, the only way for someone to do it is to hit you with the back of their hand with the right hand. And in the ancient world, to smack somebody with the back of your hand was a sign of Disrespect. It was a sign saying that you don't matter. You don't have dignity. I am above you. And so to slap them on the right cheek, you would have to do it with the back of your hand. And it was an insult 
It was an insulting action. So Jesus says, when they do that to you, when they insult you, when they look down on you and the dignity that you have on your life, I want you to turn to them the other cheek, the left cheek. I love this mischievous thing that Jesus does here because it's not passive at all. Because when you offer your left cheek, you're saying that, hey, you have to hit me with the palm of your right hand. You have to see the dignity and the image of God on my life. So I'm going to stick it right back up there for you so that you know that you can't walk all over me because my creator made me and cherishes me. So you'd have to hit them with the palm of your hand if you offer your left cheek. The only other option that the slapper, the insulter, would have was to use their left hand. And nobody used their left hand in the ancient world. The left hand, sorry left-handed people, was designated for bathroom duties. It was impure. It was gross. And so if you would actually have to use your left hand to get their left cheek, then it was actually, you know, fool on you. You look gross and that's disgusting, right? So Jesus is not saying, like, this is a passive thing. But Jesus is saying, don't practice retribution, Don't play tit for tat. It's not what I'm calling my people to be. That's normal. I'm asking you, I'm inviting you to live differently. When they insult you, don't insult them back. It's other. It's a different kind of reaction. It's something that would puzzle and confound others. Jesus says this next. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Again, this is something that's hard for us to understand in our context. I mean, we think about this like, oh, does this mean that when like somebody texts me on Friday night and I have a truck and they ask me to move on Saturday morning, I have to say yes and I have to like do everything for them? Is this like what a coach would say? If they tell you to run a mile, you run two miles? No. There's a lot, of go- a lot of stuff going on in the historical context of this phrase. This is actually all about an abuse of power. And how we respond when people that are above us abuse their power on us. Uh, For example, this is about compulsory public service, something that we don't know a lot of in the West today, in America today. But at the time, a Roman soldier, any officer of the Roman government or soldier could see any citizen and point at them and say, hey, for the next 1,000 paces or roughly a mile, you have to carry my pack. You have to carry my pack and you just lighten my load and for a mile, you under law have to do so. I mean, this was such an abuse of power. Think how annoying this would be (laughs) to have this happen. But Jesus' audience knew about this. And so when Jesus says that don't just walk one mile with them, walk two miles with them. People are like, oh, Jesus, can't you tell us the one about the prodigal son again or the mustard seeds? Like, come on now. This is impractical. Who lives this way? To which Jesus would probably be like, yeah, exactly. Who lives this way? It's going to get people thinking. It's going to get their wheels turning. But the other interesting part of this is that you can imagine some scholars would say that Jesus teaching again would point the spotlight on the folly and of the abuse of power to where they would stop. Because can you imagine? They know you can only walk one mile with them. But you take some more steps after that one mile and you're like, dude, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. You can stop now. You can stop now. I'm going to get in trouble if I force you to go farther than a mile. But you just keep walking and talking with them. Like they're going to be like, now I'm in trouble. I shouldn't have done this at all in the first place. It like diffuses the whole situation, right? It's not passive. It's mischievous. It's Jesus stuff. He continues and he teaches this. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus turns to them and says, how do you react? How do you respond when you see need? When you see somebody needs something and you have more than enough and they don't have enough. So how do you respond? 
Now, in the first century world, it's different than our world today where there are certain areas of town that are more wealthy and affluent than other areas of town. In the ancient world, everybody's on top of each other. And you're just like all on this crowded road together and the wealthy people are walking and they're always within an earshot of somebody calling out for assistance and for help. And Jesus says, as you live your life, don't just do the bare minimum of like, well, I, you know, I give a little bit there because I should, and don't give out of guilt, but like he says that you should be open-handed towards your more than enough when you see need. You should respond to need with generosity. This is what I'm calling you to do. Don't just play the cultural game. I want you to be more than the cultural bare minimum, <laughs> And I want you to respond to need. This is not about giving a certain percentage to an organization, even giving a certain percentage to a church. Gulp, it's not about that. It's about responding when you see need. I even love that Jesus talks about letting somebody borrow from you. Even sometimes the case might be that you want to give them the dignity to where they're going to pay you back so they have skin in the game. But the the point is, when you see need, when you have more than enough, you react, you respond with open hands and generosity. This is what he's calling his kingdom partners, his children, to do. He continues and says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yeah, they had heard this in their culture before, but man, isn't this just the way of our culture today? You're supposed to like those that are like you and hate those who are different than you or stay away from those who are different from you. Anybody who stands in your way or the way that you see the world to be ordered, they're your enemy. And you're supposed to like those people, love those people that, you know, they're your tribe, but you're supposed to talk badly about the people in the other tribe, right? This is just the way of the world back then and of today. And and Jesus is saying this, you've heard it. This is the way that you've heard it, but I'm about to flip this thing on its head. I'm about to make everybody uncomfortable. Before we move on, I want to place ourselves in this story a little bit. Because when you think about an enemy, it's really easy for us to be like, I don't have any enemies. I love everybody, right? And then we can just move on and excuse ourselves from the conversation. But I want you to think for a moment, what person, what group of people, what type of people do you have the least amount of respect for? What person, what type of people do you think stands in the way of the world being ordered the way that you want the world to be ordered? Who is your enemy? Is it the person who voted for the different side in the last election? Is it the person who has a different sexual orientation than you? Is it the person, your neighbor, who never mows their yard or the neighbor who mows their yard way too early and makes your yard look bad? Is it an ex? Is it a supervisor? Is it a boss? Is it a coworker? Who is your enemy? Jesus says, you've heard it said, love people that are like you and hate your enemy, but he's going to say this to us today. He says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we love to get like off easy in this passage thinking love, love is just that feeling you have, right? It's like a warm affection kind of feeling. No, that's not the love that Jesus is talking about. Unfortunately, I did the word study. It's not about just this feeling. Love is action. Love is going out of your way to serve them. Love is doing something for them. It says, this is what I'm calling you to be, to be like, what? why would you respond this way? Love them. And then we're told this, to pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who stood in your way, who harmed you. Actually go before God and pray for them. Some of us were probably thinking, I'll just say it for us. Like some of us, we don't even pray for the people we like very much. 
We pray like, God, thanks for this day and give me a couple of things I want, amen, kind of thing, and that's where it ends. But Jesus says, no, my people, I want you to pray for those people who have caused you harm, who've done wrong to you. And don't pray the country song prayers for them, like, I hope their dog dies, their truck breaks down, their ex dumps them, like, no, like, pray good for them. Jesus is like, this is what I'm calling you to, to which people would be like, why are they doing this? After what they did to you? After the way that, like, they voted, the signs that they had in their yard, the hat that they were wearing, like, after all that, you're going to respond to them like this? Who does that? To which I think Jesus, again, would be like, yeah, who does that? (laughs) That's what we're on about. That's the mission. That's mission critical right there to over, under, react. And all the time we're like, Jesus, can you just go on and tell tell the fun stories again? He's like, no, that's not what we're doing here. He continues, and he says this, and this is the, the reason, this is the so that, this is why he's on about it. He says, I want you to do this, to pray for those, to love those who've gone your way, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And, and hear me, we get confused in this. You don't like become children of God by doing these things, but this is more about a family resemblance. This is more like you will look like your Father in heaven when you treat others this way. You'll have the family resemblance. You'll look just like your dad. When you treat others in this upside down, over under reaction, stop and stare, who does this kind of way? You guys have heard me say probably a hundred times, like, you want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look how he walked, what he cared about, who he talked to, how he talked to them, what his life was all about. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And I think we take it a step further. If we want our neighbors, our friends, our community, our world to know what God is like, they've got to see Jesus in us. They've got to see us acting like our heavenly father acts towards everybody. Jesus says, if you live this way, you're going to look like your dad in heaven. You'll have the family resemblance, and that changes everything. He continues. He starts to twist the screws and make his argument in a different way in this teaching. He says this, if you love those who love you, what reward will you even get? What recognition will you get if you are just kind and you serve and you love those who love you? In other words, like, who's going to stand up at the funeral and be like, you know what? She was amazing. It was amazing. She loved people that saw the world exactly the way that she did. She was so kind to them. People that they just got along so easy. It was amazing. It was incredible. Nobody's going to do that. No one's going to stand up and celebrate that. And he, he illustrates this by saying something shocking to the original audience. He says this. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Like the tax collectors were people that were traitors to the nation of Israel and Jesus' people by collaborating with the Roman Empire. And Jesus goes, if you're just going to be good to the people that are good to you, like you're just like the tax collectors, which I'm sure he lost half of his church that day, half of his audience, right? But he's making a point. I'm like, he's saying, we're doing something different. We're doing something that's going to get people to stop and stare. And it's upside down. It's impractical, but it's a beautiful story and it changes the world. He continues and says this. And if you greet only your own people, your own people, the people that you can let your hair down around, the people that you can speak freely around, the people that have refrigerator rights, the people that vote the same way, live the same way, agree on everything, watch the same TV shows and movies and root for the same teams. If you greet only your own people, 
What are you doing, key phrase here, more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And the pagans in this time were just people that had no concept or understanding of the God of Israel, the God of the universe. He says, they're the ones that worry about that. But Jesus is saying here, like, if you greet only your own people and you never offer and sacrifice your comfort for what God is up to, you're just going to look like everybody else. And the point is to stand up, to stand out, to be more than others, to shine brightly in a time and in a world where everybody's all the same. What are you doing more than others? More than others is unusual. It's unexpected. It gets people to stop and stare. And then Jesus finishes this teaching with a verse that often is ripped out of context and it it's, makes it very challenging. And I want to bring some light to it, hopefully. This morning he says this. In these ways, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I remember reading this as a, a child, like reading the Sermon on the Mount and getting to this section. And honestly, I'd get to that line and I'd be like, well, well, this isn't for me anymore, I guess. Maybe the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to show me that I can't do it because I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect like God, so I just can't do it. And what I want to do is I, I want to bring hopefully some light to this phrase, perfect, um, because the perfection that is talked about in the Sermon on the Mount is not a moral perfection, like you never break any of God's laws or commands. It's actually tied to the idea of hagios, or what we call holiness, to be holy. And we've talked about this before. God calls us to be holy, not to never get dirt under our fingernails, never to have any mess, but to be different, to be set apart, to be other, like our Heavenly Father is other, to be on display, set apart, different, other. Look at the context in which uh, Jesus is saying to be holy, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father's perfect. It's in the way that we treat other people. I want you to be different, to be wow, to be other and unprecedented in the way that you love people that are hard to love, just like your heavenly father is to you. Be perfect in the way that you treat other people, the way that your heavenly father is perfect in the way that he treats everyone. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that challenging? Isn't that just upside down kingdom of God stuff? <laughs> to be perfect in the way that we love and treat other people, especially those that are challenging to us. We'll look different because we're not going to respond with a hit when they hit us back. We'll look different because when we see need, we will respond to it. We won't just get in our car and we'll talk about how the politicians have screwed up the systems and so they're not, you know, they're messing everything up. No, we're actually going to get our hands dirty and do something about it and love somebody and serve and give to somebody. <laughs> will be the extra mile kind of people to live that more than others kind of way because you and I serve a more than others, holy, perfect kind of God. I'll put it this way to sort of encapsulate what he's saying here. That our reactions expose whose we truly are. Our reactions to adverse life experiences, to people that are difficult, challenging, rude, 
crude, harmful to us and those we love, man, they expose, they reveal whose we truly are. If we're going to look like our heavenly father, or if we're just going to go with the culture's play, you can fake your behavior for a while, my friends. You can fake your behavior through social conditioning or trying to get something out of somebody by putting on a good face for a while. You can act differently in public versus private and grumble about stuff later, but our reactions reveal who we belong to, who we're leaning our life up against and trusting. Our reactions reveal whose we truly are. And it tells a beautiful story when we decide that we're not going to react the normal, natural, cultural way, but we're going to react in the Jesus kingdom upside down kind of way. And it's at this point in the message that I know it can get really, it's a dangerous part of this talk because I could land it here and leave everybody with, I just need to try harder. I need to modify my behavior. I need to go and like next time I just need to remember what the pastor said and I need to do that. Or we can get to a place where you're like, I agree with this. Mm, Yeah, that's good. I agree with him, but I'm not going to do anything or change anything about it. Like it's a dangerous part of this talk. And man, I'm not trying to get anybody just to agree with me or nod or do that church mooing thing when you go, "Mm." no, uh, and this is not a pull yourself up up from your bootstraps, modify your behavior and move forward kind of thing. No, I want to ask this question, like what empowers us? What fuels us? What vision do we have in front of our eyes that can equip us to live this way? And it's not just trying harder. No, man, that's not going to work. That's going to leave you disillusioned. That's going to leave you feeling like this whole church thing isn't for you, or maybe the God thing is not even real. This is not about that. This is about having fuel, empowering a vision in front of you that changes everything. Here's the question that I think will frame us to live this out. How did your heavenly father react to your sin and your shortcomings? How did your heavenly father react to when you sinned, when you broke relationship with him, or when you harmed his other kids and all of your shortcomings, how did he react to you? When you were running in the opposite direction from God, maybe not saying like, I don't care about you, God, or I'm like in rebellion from you, but you just didn't care at all. And you're running the other direction, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for belonging in all the wrong places. How did your heavenly father in Christ respond to you? He ran after you. He left the splendor of heaven to come after you, to woo you into his family, ultimately through the breathtaking love at the cross and through his resurrection. He pursued you. That's how he reacted to you. How did your heavenly father react to your sin when you hurt his other kids, when you hurt other people, when you stepped over them, when you used your power to build you and your powerful empire and not his How did he react to that? He didn't reciprocate with hit for hit, tit for tat. No, not with a lightning bolt. No, he blessed you. He invited you. He was patient with you and tried to show you love that would change your behavior. (laughs) When you have a tendency, when I have a tendency to white knuckle our stuff, our comfort, our time, our calendar, our money, just for us, how did he react to that? No, he graciously and generously blessed you. And he reminded you over and over again that you've been blessed to be a blessing. How did your heavenly father in Christ, how did he respond to your sin, to my sin, to a debt that we couldn't pay because of the shalom that we shattered around us? He sent Jesus, the king, 
who instead of demanding payment from you, he paid the price himself. This is the good news. How did your heavenly father react to your sin and shortcomings? Man, if we find ourselves there in humility and we just are just taken by the story of his love, we realize that we can live in this more than others way, this over underreaction kind of way, because we serve a more than others God who has welcomed us to the table. This is so good. This is what he's inviting us into. So we keep this in front of us. We're not the heroes. We're along for the journey with everybody else, and we've been shown unbelievable mercy and kindness from our God. So before we get out of here, I just want to, I want to leave us again. I don't want you just to like leave and be like, yeah, he made some good points today. Yeah, I see that. Mm-hmm. No, I, I want us to like live this out. I want us to give us a little bit of homework that we're going to be on a journey with this week so that we can grow to be people that over underreact. So uh, we're going to start at home. Um, we're not going to take this in the workplace yet because I'm not ready. You're not ready yet. We have to take baby steps here. If we're going to react in the way of Jesus to these things. All right. So the first step of the homework this week. Choose one thing that drives you nuts at home, and it cannot be someone you live with. You're already thinking it. One thing that drives you nuts over and over and over again at home, and just like identify it, choose it. Then step two, reflect on your normal reaction. And we don't like to do this because we're all embarrassed by it, but like think of taking a step out of yourself and just think about how do I normally respond when this happens? Ooh, that's ugly. Can we fast forward, please? Skip to the next episode. Like, no, but reflect on that. Actually sit in it. And it's okay to be like, yeah, I don't like that because that's where we all are. And here's the beautiful part. Choose one thing, reflect on your normal reaction. And what would, ask yourself this question, what would an amazing reaction look like? What would a more than others reaction look like? What kind of reaction would get people to stop and stare and be like, what's he smoking? Ask this question, what's a my heavenly father reaction like in this situation? How did he respond to me? How does he respond to me? And how can I respond to others? Our actions, often we think they speak louder than words, yeah. But our reactions, you guys, speak louder than either. And let's be a group of people that don't just agree with this stuff, but let's be a group of people that lock arms with our King Jesus. And we want to shadow him. We want to follow him this week. We want to trust that this is going to birth beautiful things into the world as we become people that over, under, react so that people go, what? What? Plot twist. I can't imagine. I get so excited thinking about how we could start something different by living this way. And we get to do it together.